This is the Lamp Life Podcast, where we apply the light of the word to all of life. I am Brendan. I'm sitting here with Ed. Ed. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Ed. What are you up to? Oh, man. Well, just, yeah, nothing. Nothing? Just a whole lot of nothing. That is impossible. Yeah. Uh, because you're not dead. Yep. Yeah. I tell you, I, yeah, I have been uh, been quite busy, mm-hmm. but busy with good things. Amen. So, and the work of the kingdom. Got a right? lot. Yep. A lot going on right now yeah. at the church and, yeah, springtime, getting ready for summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, starting to put my head towards summer mission teams coming out. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Interns. So. That'll be a first, having some interns here since I've yes. been here. That's right. So we'll see how I'm, that goes. Oh, I'm sure it'll go swimmingly. Yep, totally. So. I'll have them paint paint the building back here yep. for us, mm-hmm. pull some weeds. I don't know. Like, what else do you have interns do? Uh, evangelize. Make coffee. I think that's a, a common one. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, the spiritual things, too. Yes. Yeah. Uh evangelize um you know help make sure that the place is clean before and after mission teams do you know if any of our interns have a particular love for coffee is that is that a question we had on our on our questionnaire no but it should that, that wasn't it required. should have been since you're one of our pastors yeah but i bet uh knowing you and your propensity towards um, bougie things, especially caffeinated bougie things. I could see a scenario in which they are not only challenged theologically, but challenged with the drinks that oh, they choose to protect. Absolutely, them. yeah. We're, I mean, we're going to have to have as a portion of their training how to do pour overs properly. Mm, yes, we're going to have to include that. So, yeah, that'll that'll all be you. Yeah. If I tried to train them, you know, I'd have a spasm and burn myself. Yeah, that'd be bad. Yeah. I bet that would hurt. Well, probably, yes. The spasm or the burning or both? Probably both. Man, I'll tell you, one time I burnt myself Mm -hmm. with coffee. Have you ever told you this story before? No. Okay. And you still prepare your own coffee? I do, yeah. How bad was the burn? Well, it was bad. I mean, it was at least second degree, third degree. I don't know. Did it whelp up? What, what degree is it when you, yeah, like it blistered immediately. Immediately. Hmm, I yeah. don't know. So so, so here, here's how it goes. Yeah. I'm at the uh, summer camp I worked at as a college student, Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, staff orientation weekend in April. Mm-hmm. It's a little chilly there in the mountains of North Carolina where it was, and it was time to warm myself up with a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So they had made fresh coffee, Sunergas coffee, for anybody who's aware of what that means. It's a mm-hmm. company in Louisville that highly recommend. Order yourself some Sunergas coffee. You will Third not, wave. You will not r- regret it. So uh, they had made some Sunergas coffee mm-hmm. down there at the camp, and uh, it was fresh, piping hot coffee. And I'm telling you, it was it had to have been brewed at a temperature that is hotter than you should brew coffee because I mean it was uh, it was it was hot. 
So I, I got the coffee. Yeah. And as soon as I got the coffee, it hit me. You know what I'm talking about. I had to use oh. the restroom. Oh, that kind of hit. And, yes. uh, okay. and so I had this piping hot cup of coffee and this dilemma of needing to go to the restroom. So like any logical college student would do, I brought my coffee down into the restroom with me, took it in the stall with me, and decided that the best place to set it down would be right next to me on the toilet paper holder. And you know the toilet paper holders in some of these bathrooms are like a perfect cylinder shape. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like yeah. uh it's not like one of the ones where you've got the two rolls where it's flat in the middle and so there's a nice level surface. No, no, no. This is one of the ones where it's like, you know, it has the four rolls on it and it can rotate within this cylindrical device. So I decide that it's gonna be possible for me to set my coffee down on the very top of this cylinder and uh, just balance it there. Mm. And this is just this little puny styrofoam cup. So I do, and everything looks great. It's great. Having a good time. All is well until I decide I'm going to try to take a sip of my coffee while Mm. sitting there. And so I, you know, reach over to grab the the coffee. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so there's this little lip on the edge of this cylindrical toilet paper holder. And while I am grabbing the coffee and begin to pull it over, the bottom of the cup catches on the lip and the thing slides right onto my hand. And I dump the entire cup of piping hot coffee right onto the interior of my foot. Mm. So, you know, you, you know that little like really sensitive place that's right under your ankle on the inside of your foot where the skin is just very thin. Yep. Well, it goes right down into my shoe Mm. and just sits there. And of course I'm stuck on the pot. Like I can't get up, you know, and and I am like screaming because I can tell, and I couldn't get my shoe off because, you know, Mm -hmm. who, who I honestly, I didn't know what was happening and I'm just sitting there with this, piping hot coffee burning into my skin. And so, you know, there's other people in the bathroom and, and as quick as I could, I'm hopping out of the stall trying to get my ankle up into the sink to get some cold water on it. And you can just, yeah, it was not a pretty scenario. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. So yeah. And I still do not give up coffee. That's, Mm. that's, uh, that's love. So what would you do different today? If you were in that same exact scenario, what is now clear to you that you need to do? Yeah. Never put the coffee down. Keep it in my hand the whole time. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, good. <laughs> good for you. Thank you for that clarity. That's what Brendan. I've learned, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just like Pastor Brendan uh, got clarity in that situation, what to do. We're going to be talking about other matters of clarity. Oh, are we now? Yes, we oh, sure are. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. What kind of clarity are you looking for? Well, the the clarity of Scripture. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, today <laughs> we're going to talk about that, the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, also known by theologians that have nothing better to do but come up with unclear words, ironically, the perspicuity of Scripture. Yeah, uh, this is a doctrine that uh, has been well touted by the reformers, and 
uh, and since. And uh, yeah, in more recent years, I think more theologians have begun referring to it as the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture yeah. instead of the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture, because if you're trying to be clear, why be unclear? Right. You know, it, it, it makes us sound important, I know, right? to, to say yeah. these big words. Yeah, I, I'll give you another example of a big word. Um, if you look at Charles Spurgeon's, or not Charles Spurgeon's, Tom Nettle's biography of Spurgeon. Now, who would ever want to study Charles Spurgeon? Uh, some uh, hack with nothing else to do with his life. But uh, if you look at that big biography, it's called Living by Revealed Truth. It's mostly clear and understandable. Um, Perspicuitous? Yes, it's perspicuitous. That's right. I said the word and didn't butcher it. But um, Nettles, in the introduction to his big old biography, uses the word elemosinary. You know what that means, Brendan? Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Elamasonary. It means very elementary. No. <laughs> so elamasonary relates to having to do with charity. Mm. So so he was talking about the elamasonary efforts of Spurgeon. Mm. I saw some new Spurgeon book just came out about that. I don't know if it was somebody's dissertation or something else. but Yes, Alex DePrima. Yeah, I, Spurgeon and the Poor. Yeah, I actually read that, and I've got a book review coming out with uh, Thamelios. Nice. Uh, later this year. So That sounds important. Well, uh, See, Thamelios. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Why can't we be perspicuitous? Uh, I, it'd be... <laughs> It'd be very salubrious for us if we were purposeful. I mean, you and I were just like, how about let's name our podcast Lamp Life. Yeah. That might not be clear either, though. Then every time I say it, people are always like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I can't pronounce eyes that well. It sounds like something else. Yep. So, yeah. But uh, Speaking of Lamp Life. Yeah. Let's get to the material here. So... Uh, let's first talk about what the term perspicuity means. What do we mean when we are referring to the clarity of Scripture? And now, before we get to that question, just to remind listeners, we're going to be for the next several weeks talking through various categories that are important when it comes to the doctrine of Scripture. And this is one that needs to be made clear. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about the clarity of Scripture. Now, Ed, Help us out a little bit just with some general comments up front of yes. what we mean. Maybe not a precise definition, but generally, what do we mean when we are talking about the clarity of Scripture? The understandability of the Scriptures. Yeah. Uh, that is the first very cliff note version of what, what I would say. The, the Scriptures are clear enough that... Uh, children, if they're reared in the scriptures, can understand such truths as God is good, God is holy, man is sinful, man is unholy, so on and so forth. Yeah, so the fundamental truths of the Bible are able to be understood by all. Correct. Um, With the exception, and we'll get into this, Mm -hmm. of whether or not a person is interpreting those scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. Correct. Um, yeah, so this has been a doctrine that has been very contentious throughout the history of the church, and in particular, it was one of the central 
doctrines in the controversy of the Reformation. Yep. Right? Because the Roman Catholic Church was essentially saying that you needed the Pope, you needed these priests in order to understand the scriptures because the central and basic meaning of the scriptures was not clear. Correct. Was not able to be understood. So in uh, Martin Luther, who was, of course, the great reformer, uh, the guy who's credited with with kickstarting the Reformation by nailing his 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, James would be proud. That's right, wouldn't he? This is that's our German friend for people. A German know. church member. That's right. Uh, but this is this is Martin Luther in his his famous treatise, "The Bondage of the Will." where he is responding to a well-known Roman Catholic scholar, Erasmus, which, by the way, much of the Reformation is owed to Erasmus and his work on the Greek text. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Erasmus was not one who was willing to leave the, the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, he loved his academic settings and notoriety and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But this is Luther responding just at one portion to Erasmus, on this issue of whether or not the Bible was clear. Luther says, Let it suffice for now to have laid down, by way of introduction, that the Scriptures are perfectly clear in their teaching, and that by their help such a defense of our position may be made, may be made that our adversaries cannot resist, and that what cannot thus, and that what cannot be thus defended is not our business. And is of no concern to Christians, and who cannot see the aforementioned clarity and blindly stumble into the sunlight of Scripture, thereby reveal, if they are godless, how mighty is the dominion and power of Satan over the sons of men, which prevents them from hearing and grasping the plainest words of God, and makes them like men whom an illusionist has mesmerized into thinking that the sun is a cold cinder or believing that a stone is gold. Mm. So Luther wants to be as clear as he can that the Bible is understandable. And it's this doctrine of the clarity of Scripture that led Luther to give much of his life to translating the Bible um, in order that it could be in the common vernacular of his people, into into the German language. Because he believed if you can get the Bible into the hands of people, they're they're going to be able to read it and understand what it says, and they'll be able to thereby know God. They don't need essentially the church to stand between them and an understanding of who God is. Right. They in can the very, understand the Bible. Yep. Right. In a very real way, they can take responsibility for their own knowledge of the scriptures. Yep. That they're not dependent upon being spoon fed and just having to blindly trust an ecclesiastical or church authority. Yep. So expand for us a little bit more, Ed, on, on what, we me- what we mean when we're saying that the, the Bible is accessible to all regardless of education so, or background or age. Yeah, so, so what that means essentially is that if you devote yourself to studying the scriptures, you, you will come away understanding truth from the scriptures. So, so in other words, a six-year-old, as I've already alluded to, can understand basic truths. Yeah. Uh, uh, an old man 
who has just learned to read can have, can know the joy of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And for those who devote themselves to to the study of Scripture, uh, they can have the joy of hearing God speak, not in some audible way uh, where he writes in the sky, but you can know from our last session and episode that God really has spoken, mm-hmm. and he has spoken infallibly and inerrantly, meaning that he does not and he cannot err, and then you can read those words for yourself. Yeah. No matter how old you are within reason, I mean, you got to be able to communicate and understand communication. and But also, no matter how much training you have in theology, you can still grasp something. Uh, one of the things that I tend to not like about the seminary environment um, is that there are some, not all, but there are some professors out there who will almost come short of saying that in order to really be able to understand the Bible, you absolutely have to know the original languages. Right. Yeah, you, you have to know. Greek and Hebrew. Yeah. Um, and by the way, oftentimes Aramaic is not mentioned, but mm-hmm. that, that's a third biblical language that nobody ever talks about, which if you want to put that much of a premium on the languages, uh, you're missing out on Ezra and parts of Daniel mm-hmm. if you don't study Aramaic with that strict supposition of in order to really understand the languages or to understand the Bible, you've got to know the language. Yeah. It's important to note that the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture does not mean that all Scripture is easy to understand. Right. You, we, we read through Paul in his re, or uh, Peter in his response mm-hmm. to Paul, of course, last week, saying that some of this is really difficult to understand. So yeah. we are not saying that interpretation is unnecessary. We're not saying that there's no place for skilled teachers and those who are learned to help understand mm-hmm. the Word. You or know, even we, adept in the languages. Yeah, I mean, we saw in uh, Ezra chapter 8, as we or Nehemiah chapter 8, as we looked at it, uh, last week, that it's important that the Bible is not only read, but uh, that it's understood. And so mm-hmm. in that passage in Nehemiah 8, you have God's people and you know Ezra and, and really like 13 leaders with him reading the text, and then others, including I think Ezra was probably participating in this, helping to explain and give the sense of the text. So there's both a reading of the text and an explanation of what the text means. And we need to remember that there were people within Israel who their responsibility and their job was to study the law, the Levites, right? right? To study the law, to know the law, to be able to keep the people in alignment with the law. Ezra himself was a scribe, a man who was learned, the Bible says, in the, the book of the law. He studied it. He did it, and he taught it. And so we need to be taught the scriptures. We need to learn. We need to study. We need to grow. And so we're not implying that all of the scripture is easy to understand, but upon a simple reading of the scripture, if a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, what we're saying is ordinary people 
can grasp the simple and plain truths that are necessary for salvation in right. the text, right? So maybe an illustration would be helpful. Yeah. What we're saying when we're talking about the doctrine of the clarity, I think, could be understood as think of think of the path. If you want, well, well, I almost said path of salvation, but that makes it feel too LDSy to me out here in Utah. But uh, you think about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, think about in the John Bunyan Pilgrim's Progress sort of way of mm-hmm. thinking that there right. is the way, you know, on which we walk, the path mm-hmm. on which we walk uh, in salvation. The Bible, think, think, think of that path as being uh, lit by lights. And mm-hmm. so you can see the path that's lit by lamps that stand over the path. But you're walking, let's say, through in the dark. And this is appropriate even to the, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you can pick up on this imagery in the scripture that uh, we're not saying that everything in the Bible is just as easy to see, mm-hmm. uh, is just as easy to understand. What we're saying when we're talking about the clarity of scripture is the key truths, that path of knowing what it means to be saved, the right. truths of the gospel, the truths of who Jesus is. Those things are so well lit that you you cannot miss them. Right. So long as the Holy Spirit has filled you and has caused you and enabled you to believe. Right. Which maybe leads to the next point, unless you want to comment on that one in particular. Believe and love. Yeah. Those truths. Definitely. Definitely. You know, because there there's a lot of people that that say, Yeah, I I can see that the text teaches that. But, but I don't I don't love it I don't cherish it I don't trust it I I haven't um, placed my hope alone my faith alone in these essential truths for my own personal salvation to have my sins forgiven um you know to bring it also back to the book of Jude which as you all know that are members of our church we just got to finish this past Sunday, Jude starts out his letter by saying that they need to contend uh, for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Well, what is the faith there? That's, That's the core doctrines that are derived from the clarity of the scriptures. So, so, Theology is derived, doctrine is derived from Scripture. And Scripture, for, for the most part, is very, very, very clear, especially on essential truths. Yeah. Now, let's give some, you know, we've alluded to this a little bit as we've been walking mm-hmm. through this, but let's give some more time to think through what we mean when we're kind of referencing the fact that the Holy Spirit is essential in understanding these truths, the way that they're meant to be understood. What role does the Holy Spirit play with the perspicuity of Scripture? He is the one that lights the lamp in your in your heart and in your eyes to see and love the truth that you did not see before. And Jesus himself actually teaches this. If you look at John 12, uh, he says that Isaiah 6 talks about him. And in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is given a mission of saying to people, 
you're not going to hear, you're not going to understand. And Jesus applies Isaiah 6 to himself by, by saying that he spoke in parables in order that people would not understand. And, and this is uh, countercultural to a way a lot of people think about Jesus. But Jesus is essentially saying there are some who are not meant to understand on a saving level, that they're just not going to get it. Mm -hmm. So we need the Holy Spirit to supernaturally intervene, as it were, so that we don't just understand the words on the page, but we understand in a saving way. And so that's what makes the Bible very different from um, green eggs and ham, for example. You know, you can physically read both of those books and understand what they're saying, but the Holy Spirit has to supernaturally come upon you to get you to understand the words of salvation that are, that are in the book. Yeah, I think one place where Jesus makes that clear is in John 5, mm-hmm. and I'll begin reading at the end of verse 36. Jesus says, For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice, listen to this, and of course mm-hmm. this is him talking to the religious people, his voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, Mm. for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another Mm. comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Mm. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote... But if you do not believe his writings, be, oh, Moses wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So That's a scathing indictment. It is. It's a very scathing indictment. But yeah. I, I think the point is, is clear, and this, this is made in multiple places in all of the Gospels, really. Um, you know, Jesus speaks in parables because he is going to be the one who determines who he opens up the truth of his word to versus who he does not. Right uh, Here, those who search the scriptures and learn the scriptures, it doesn't matter how often you search the scriptures, if Jesus does not reveal himself to you in the scriptures, if you're not seeing him, if you're not, of course, filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore understanding that yeah. this all has to do with Jesus, you're not going to come to a clear understanding of what the Bible is saying. Right. Luke 24, the famous passage of the road to Emmaus, when Jesus is walking with the disciples <laughs> and has concealed his identity to them, they are weeping, saying, well, you know, we thought Jesus was going to be this great Messiah, and now he's dead and all hope is lost, and Jesus mm-hmm. opens up the Bible to them. 
and begins to explain the scriptures. And it says, of course, in that passage, that as he explained the scriptures to them, their hearts burned within them. And it says very clearly, he opened their minds to understand the right. scriptures. Right. So what you're saying is, is that is that, that uh, burning feeling wasn't just a subjective thing that happened because they prayed, but it's because Jesus sovereignly yeah. uh, preach the scriptures to them. Yep. I would say it, it, it is a subjective experience yeah. mm-hmm. in the sense that the reception of the Holy Spirit and us coming to understand the, the Bible for their true meaning is a subjective experience mm-hmm. from our perspective. Obviously, it's happening objectively <laughs> and that God is the one who's objectively acting upon us in order to enable us to understand the Bible, mm-hmm. but unless God acts, unless God opens our eyes, opens right. our minds, we will not understand the truth of the Word. That's so right. this is where we get the doctrine of illumination, mm-hmm. uh, which of course is the doctrine that it is the Holy Spirit who illumines. He he lights it up. He, he, he helps us to see Jesus in the Scriptures, to see the truth of what God is seeking to communicate to us as His people in the Scriptures. And I've talked to many people, and I had this this subjective experience myself. The moment that I was born again, it really was black and white. Like, I had read the scriptures mm-hmm. my whole life. I had memorized the scriptures in Awanas. I had been taught the scriptures. But when God filled me with his Holy Spirit, suddenly it was like the scriptures were pouncing off the page and penetrating my heart. Right. And that's the Spirit working, giving clarity. And that, could, that can happen to a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. as much as it can happen to a 15-year-old, as That's much right. as it can happen to a 35-year-old who's been studying the Bible his whole life and yet has never come to really understand, right? right. So we, we, it's important we make those distinctions when we're talking about the right. perspicuity of Scripture or the clarity of Scripture, because yeah. we're not saying that just anybody can open it up and understand it in the sense of loving that truth. So I yeah. would say savingly understand. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, and... I'll, I'll even put it this way. There's unbelieving Hebrew scholars that I believe could argue circles around me about some of the Levitical laws in the, in the Old Testament as far as understanding what's on the page. But understanding that all those sacrifices point to the one great sacrifice of the Lamb they may not understand that. I do. Uh, so I would say that even though I have, in one sense, less knowledge and one could even say less understanding in a certain sense, savingly, God has been merciful to me and God will have to be merciful to the hypothetical Hebrew scholar that I brought up. So so that's something that I I just find really interesting is that on on another side of the diamond, when when we say that scripture is clear, we are not saying that every scripture is is clear in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Um, there are parts of the Bible that I'm not exactly sure how how the best way to preach them in an understandable way would be. Uh, there's parts of the Bible that uh, good men, godly men, have poured a lot of ink out in the world of academia, trying to 
trying to understand it. Yeah. And so that's something else for our context I think is real helpful to bring up is that for us, we do not believe that everybody within the evangelical church that's believing the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has to be in lockstep on every jock and tittle of doctrine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's room for charitable, loving, brotherly disagreement. Yeah. I think just to fill in some more of this, what we're talking about here, I think John Frame is helpful. just want to read a little bit from his uh, chapter on the clarity of Scripture in his book, The Doctrine of the Word of God. He says, "I, I conclude this is an important principle, and here's the principle. Scripture is always clear enough for us to carry out our present responsibilities before God. It is clear enough for a six-year-old to understand what God expects of him. It is clear enough for a mature theologian to understand what God expects of him. But the clarity of Scripture, as we saw under the Lordship attribute of control, is person-relative, person-specific. Scripture is not exhaustively clear to anyone. It is not clear enough to satisfy anyone who merely wants to gain a speculative knowledge of divine things. It is rather morally sufficient, practically sufficient, sufficient for each person to know what God desires of him. Yeah. I think that's helpful in understanding mm-hmm. what we mean when we're talking about the clarity of Scripture, that it's clear enough that the six-year-old can read it and understand what God is saying to him or her at, mm-hmm. at, that, at that particular stage of life. Um, and then as we learn and as we grow in our knowledge of the Bible, uh, God continues to meet us through his word, giving us clarity on what his expectations are of us. Um, and so there is a maturity, you know, in, in growing in clarity. You know, may, maybe you could even uh, explain it as the, uh, the path is always lit, but as you grow in maturity and you grow in your knowledge of Scripture— the the lights get brighter so you can see more and more more clearly that's around you <laughs> as you walk in the Christian life, right? But the path that is essential to understand the truths necessary for salvation is always lit mm-hmm. to the one who's been filled with the Spirit, who right. is reading and learning the Word of God. Yep, and I would say to the one who is being drawn by the Spirit, uh, it is though... That they see a little bit of light, they're attracted to it. They grow closer. Uh, they see more light, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. Then, then one day, in the Holy Spirit's mysterious providence, uh, they see Jesus Christ and all of His beautiful glory. Yeah, and you know that that and now, which He fails and. Uh, in, in some sense, but I do think it's helpful to understand that ultimately what we're saying is is that Scripture is clear and understandable to to whom God desires to make it clear. Yeah. And, but the the magnitude of that clarity of that perspicuity looks different 
for every person's experience as they grow in the Lord and as they are living the life that they've sovereignly been dealt. So I think you had a wonderful story that you wanted to share, right? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. The story about the man uh, that that didn't know the languages? I am totally blacking out on whatever you're talking about. Okay, yeah. Uh, Well, I'm pretty sure that that happened. It's about the man that didn't know the languages and the and the guy was like, I'd go to him for marriage advice over my professors. Oh, yeah, that's a story that Wayne Grudem told. Right, and, right. Uh, in his, uh, I don't know if it's in his systematic, I was actually listening to it on a podcast. But, yeah, Grudem just points out that, uh, you know, he, he went to the University of Cambridge, of course, and did these different doctoral seminars as mm-hmm. a student, was sitting in these different seminars with these brilliant, brilliant, academically elite, you know, higher IQ than than probably anybody I've ever met sort of a sort of people. Mm-hmm. And these are guys who they know the Greek, they know the Hebrew, they know all of the languages, they know the historical background, all of this stuff. But they denied the Bible for what it was. They denied inerrancy, they denied uh, you know the deity of Christ, all these things. They're denying right. it, and yet here they are teaching the Bible. And so Grudem said it was so crazy that it, uh, at one point, he was in this doctoral seminar, and the next day he went to preach at this country church that somebody had set him up in. And while he was at that country church, he met this older man who had been a member of that church for like his whole life and, <laughs> and was getting near the end of his life at this point. And Grudem preaches the word to him, and the old man just comes up to him afterwards and encourages him in the word and is just uh, is, is just such a warm and, and inviting presence and loved the Bible, just loved it, loved the preaching. And Grudem came away so encouraged, and he was uh, talking to the guy who set him up for the preaching afterwards, and the guy told him, oh, yeah, well, Grudem said, I met Mr. So-and-so, and the guy, the guy said, oh, yeah, did you know that he just now learned to read like four or five years ago? And Grudem's sitting here thinking, man, this is the most ordinary man you could imagine. This this guy just learned to read. Hasn't even been reading the Bible for himself his whole life, but has been sitting under the preached word, has been around the Bible, has been shaped by the Bible. The message of the Bible has been clear to him. He's received it. He's filled with the Spirit. He loves this truth. And uh, and Grudem said that it struck him that he realized, you know, if I if I had a real problem in my life, if 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 my marriage was going through trouble. Mm. I wouldn't be going to my Greek scholar professors who deny that the Bible has really anything to do with our life other than what meaning we want to project onto it ourselves. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'd be going to that old man who has yeah. no knowledge of the Greek, no knowledge of the Hebrew, but has received and loves and cherishes the plain truths that are clear in the Scripture. Yeah. And by the power of the Word, through the Spirit working in him, has been made wise by the scriptures. So Amen. Grudem said it just hit him. That's who I'd go to. I'd go yep. to the old man. I wouldn't go to the trained professors. That's yeah. that's a good illustration of what Amen. we mean by the clarity of scripture. Yeah. And that illustration is also, I would argue, you may disagree with this, a modern day uh, heartbeat of the Reformation. You know, because mm-hmm. you have uh, all these... Uh, 
quote-unquote learned or true spiritual people that say, you need us, you ding-dongs, or you're not going to be able to understand peasant. Yeah. You know? And and then he, here's this gentleman that literally just learned to read because you understand a lot of the peasants couldn't read. Mm-hmm. Uh, back back in the, back in the uh, medieval time, right? they couldn't re- read the Latin to read the Vulgate translation. Yep. And uh, and so Luther was like, I'm going to take it to the language that they can communicate That's right. in. You know, and the same with with the English Reformation, with uh, Tyndale. Well, that's really pre-Reformation, but same with his heart with the English Reformation and, and the Swiss Reformation with Zwingli. And mm-hmm. They all wanted to see the common people read the Bible for themselves yeah. so that they could see just how plain and precious the truths are. That's right. Which have not been lost, by the way. That's right. They have not been corrupted. That's right. Well, now that we've talked it all through, let me just close this this way. This is paragraph 7 from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation— are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. Amen. We appreciate you listening. Next week, we'll be talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. I say next week. Next time we get to it. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Next week-ish. Yep, and don't spill your coffee on yourself while you're on the toilet. Don't That's do that. right. Yeah. Please like our podcast, leave a review, let us know what you think. We would appreciate it very much. And Thanks. add Brendan on Facebook. You do what you want. Yeah, that's right. Peace.